Now, we're talking about harmony today, and so we thought we would begin with some harmony. Um, we need it in all of life, and so we're going to kind of talk about it just a little bit. Um, let me see if I can get my clicker to work. Yeah, harmony is kind of what we're talking about. You need it at work. If it's disharmonious at work, you know it, and if you've ever worked in a place where there was disharmony, you know what that's like, and there's you know water cooler talk, and you know, walk on eggshells, and you're worried all the time that somebody's after your job, or it's just not much fun. So harmony is important at work. It's important at home, obviously. You don't have to be married very long, and I've been married 30 years, but you don't have to be married very long to realize that you really want harmony at home, and harmony a lot of times at home has to do with, you know, distribution of power, or not power, but distribution of, of uh, work, labor, uh, who's going to do what, and so who's going to mow the yard, and who's going to do the dishes, and who's going to clean, and who's going to cook, and, and all those sorts of things, and if you get out of sync, and then there's parenting issues, and so if you're going to parent, how are you going to parent, and you know, you got to back me up on this and that sort of thing. And when it's disharmonious, uh, you know it. And we want harmony in those parts of our lives. Uh, driving is another one. I mean, we experience this all the time. Um, when you're driving, there's sort of an expectation that certain people are going to do certain things. And so when I'm driving on a two-lane road, I'm hoping the guy coming toward me, for us to be in harmony, he's going to have to stay in his lane, and I'm going to need to stay in my lane. That's how harmony works. And if he starts to veer over, you've all had this experience before, if you've driven at all much, somebody, maybe they're not paying attention or they're on their phone or something, they look, they kind of start to drift, and, and that sort of disharmony really messes you up. Um, I, I kind of expect people to use their blinkers. That helps a little bit. I want people in the left lane to go fast or get out of the way. I mean, we all kind of have these things that happen. And I, I read a cute little story the other day I'm going to read to you uh, about a grandmother who um, wasn't in harmony with her surroundings, although she was a little bit uh, oblivious to it. So, uh, if you would, uh, listen. Grandma is 85 years old and still drives her own car. She writes to a friend, the other day I went to our local Christian bookstore and I saw a Honk If You Love Jesus bumper sticker. I was feeling particularly sassy that day because I had just come from a thrilling choir practice followed by a thunderous prayer meeting. So I bought the sticker and put it on my bumper. Boy, am I glad I did. What an uplifting experience followed. I was stopped at a red light at a busy intersection just lost in thoughts about the Lord and how good He is and I didn't notice that the light had turned green. It's a good thing somebody else loves Jesus because if he hadn't honked, I'd have never noticed. I found that lots of people love Jesus. While I was sitting there, the guy behind me started honking like crazy, and then he leaned out his window and he started to scream, For the love of God, go, 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 Jesus Christ, go! What an exuberant cheerleader for the Lord he is. Everyone started honking. I just leaned out my window and started waving and smiling at all these loving people. I even honked my horn a few times to share in the love. There must have been a man from Florida there because he started yelling something about sunny beaches. I saw another guy waving in a funny way with only one finger stuck up in the air. I asked my teenage grandson in the back seat what that meant. He said it's probably Hawaiian good luck sign or something. Well, I've never met anybody from Hawaii, so I leaned out the window and gave him a Hawaiian good luck sign right back. My grandson burst out laughing. Why, even he was enjoying this religious experience. A couple of the people were so caught up in the joy of the moment, they got out of their cars and started walking toward me. I bet they wanted me to pray for them or ask me what church I attended. But that's when I noticed the light had changed to, to green. So, grinning, I waved to all my brothers and sisters and drove on through the intersection. 
I noticed that I was the only car that got through when the light changed. And I felt kind of sad I had to leave all the love we'd shared. So I slowed down my car, leaned out the window, and gave them all a Hawaiian good luck sign on the way out. Praise the Lord for such wonderful people. So sometimes you, can't, you might be in disharmony and not even know it. So that's kind of the, the point of that story. Today we're going to talk about the Gospels. We're beginning a series called G-Harmony, and we're talking about the Gospels in harmony. Now, uh, you all probably know all this, but I'll review for maybe if you don't. Um, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called the Gospels. The word gospel means good news. And all four of these guys wrote their books from a different perspective, and honestly, kind of to a different audience. Now, I'm going to tell you what audience they wrote to in just a minute. And, and if you don't fit in that category, it doesn't mean that their writing isn't applicable to us. It just means that they, they had an emphasis and they were pointing out their emphasis. And in fact, it makes it super interesting to me that, you know, Matthew writes kind of to these people and Mark writes to these people. But what the Lord really wanted was, was this. The, the big idea is this. The Lord provided four distinct Gospels in order to give us a complete picture of Jesus. And so there are four guys who are telling us the story of Jesus. And it's not every detail of Jesus' life. But it, it's, what I love about it is that he's writing from different places about... Uh, uh, it, actually writing from the same place about the same event, but they're looking at it through different glasses. And this is kind of how that works. The, the Bible tells us all scriptures God breathed. And so the Holy Spirit led these men to write these words. I, I believe with all my heart. The Holy Spirit led these men to write these words. And he didn't take away their personalities when he did it. And we're going to see some examples of this in just a second. But understand something. These are written from a perspective of uh, these men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all believed that Jesus was God, that Jesus was the Messiah, and they write from that perspective. Now, if you're Jewish and you lived in Israel at the time, first century, when Jesus was born and lived and walked on this planet, you, as, as a Jew, would have understood or at least believed that the Old Testament pointed to a time where there was going to be what they called a Messiah, a deliverer. Somebody was going to come and he was going to help them overcome their oppressors. Now the Jews at the time lived in Israel obviously and the oppressors were the Romans. But they had many oppressors in their long history. And so they were constantly looking for this Messiah. And so... You have these authors who lived at a certain time in a certain place and they encountered Jesus or they encountered people who had encountered Jesus and they write this, these letters, these, these books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to inform us about who Jesus was and what he did and what he stood for and how he approached life and how he taught and those sorts of things. In fact, Luke, at the very beginning of his book, he kind of shows us what his intention was. We're going to look at this verse again in just a bit. But uh, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us about, around Jesus, around the life of Christ. First, as they were handed down to us by those who were the first eyewitnesses and servants of the Word. And so we're writing what, you know, what people experienced with Jesus. With this in mind, since I myself carefully investigated 
So he's not just, this isn't fake news. I mean, what he's saying is, hey, this is the real deal. I carefully investigated this. Everything from the beginning. I, too, decided to write an orderly account. I wanted to make sure that what you receive is accurate. And I decided to write this orderly account for you. And then he gives the guy's name, uh, Theophilus. Uh, Many people believe that Theophilus was sort of the patron who paid Luke to do the research and write Luke and Acts. Many people believe, most scholars believe that Theophilus was a believer, but he didn't understand all the details or all the things about uh, Christ, and he wanted, he wanted more information about Jesus. It makes a lot of sense. Now, you know about communication. Sometimes you don't communicate exactly the way you hope that you would communicate. Uh, right after um, the Cold War ended and, and the wall came down in, in, uh, in Germany, uh, I had a chance to go on a mission trip to Russia. And I was on a medical mission team, and I don't know why, because I know nothing about medicine. But my job, I became the pharmacist. So we took a lot of medicine over, and there was a doctor. And the doctor would see the patient, and then he would write on a note. Have you ever seen doctor's writings? I mean, good grief. I don't know how you ever get anything right. I'm, I'm surprised we're not all dead. Uh, he write on this little notepad what I was supposed to give this person, and then I was to explain it to my uh, Russian translator who spoke very little English. <laughs> this was a formula for disaster, frankly. I'm fairly certain I killed me some Russians while I was over there because I don't, I don't have any suspicion I gave them the right stuff or anything like that. So I would try to interpret what it would say, and I'd, get, I'd go to my little uh, you know, case of meds, and I'd find what it was, and, and I would take it to my uh, interpreter, Daniel, who was great. He was a great guy. And I, I remember one time I said, Daniel, uh, the doctor says this woman needs to take uh, two of these pills every night before bed for a month. And Daniel looked at me and he said, yes. Well, uh, okay, Daniel. Um, and now, have you ever been in a situation where you, you don't feel like you've communicated? So I did what everybody does. I started using sign language. I need you to tell her, you know, that this is what we're supposed to do with with this medicine. Because we weren't really communicating. What I love about the New Testament is that you have four guys who write in such a way that maybe I don't connect with Matthew, but man, Mark makes sense to me, or Luke makes sense to me, or John makes sense to me. And they write from different perspectives. Let Let me show you how it goes real quickly. Matthew wrote kind of to a Jewish audience. Again, most of us aren't Jewish, so you're, maybe you're going to say, well, it doesn't apply to me. Well, it really does apply to you. But from a Jewish perspective, it, do you all have your Bibles? Turn, turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Do you have your Bibles? Very, very first verse, and in fact, uh, most of the first chapter, at least the first half of the first chapter, is a genealogy of Jesus' life. Really important. But the very first verse says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, why would it be important for Jewish people to see a genealogy? Do you know? There's a couple of reasons. If you read through your Old Testament, you see genealogies all over the place. Uh, Genealogies had a lot to do with who got what land. So, um, (laughs) if... If, if, I, you know, if I'm of the tribe of, of Judah, I, I get some of this land. But if I'm of the tribe of, uh, you know, of Naphtali, I get some of this land. So it was really important to know what tribe you were from, what grouping you were in. 
So Matthew, beginning with the genealogy, connects him immediately to the Old Testament. It's like, oh, well, that's, that's like Old Testament stuff. Well, yeah, it really is like Old Testament stuff. It's included first in the books because Matthew sort of bridges the gap between the Old and the New. Really strategic that they put Matthew first. And then he begins by saying that the Messiah, they, they almost all of these guys begin with, hey, Jesus was the Messiah. He's the one that we were looking for. And Jesus the Messiah, he was the son of David. Really important, let me show you why. He's the son of David because in 2 Samuel about David, uh, it says, your house, David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. This is God talking to David. So they understood, all the Jewish people would understand, oh, okay, well, the Messiah has to come through, the line has to be in the tribe of David. And then he also said he's not only of the line of David, but he's also of the line of, of Abraham. Well, David was in Abraham's line, but he wanted to make sure it goes even further back because God also made a promise to Abraham. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. It says this, uh, Through your Abraham's offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. And right from the jump, Matthew is saying, look, look, look. It's really important that you get this. Jesus was the Messiah. You can prove it because he came through the line. He was in the, the family history, the family tree of David. He's in the family tree of Abraham. It's really important that you get this. Now, then he gives this genealogy. I'm not going to read all the genealogy to you, but re really important to note, Five women are mentioned. Now, it is remarkable that any women are mentioned. And you might say, well, what about, you know, Mary makes sense. Well, yeah, maybe Mary makes sense. But <laughs> the people that Matthew included here, does anybody in the room, I mean, unless, you're, unless your people are in here, anybody in the room have any black sheep in your family? Anybody? Oh, you all are fibbing. Oh, my gosh, you're fibbing. Oh, oh, maybe you're the black sheep. Oh, that could be. That's, that's good thinking right there. I don't know about anybody's family but my own. I'm from Kentucky. Uh, we have one branch. You know, it's kind of how it works. I, I married a, a lady from Switzerland just so I didn't marry a cousin. I, I want to make sure. Um, there are people in my family I typically don't talk about. I know y'all South Carolina, so you're fancy. But uh, in Kentucky, we got some folks... I got some meth dealers, you know, I got some people, some bootleggers uh, in the history of the vests, and, and my mama was in Adams, and uh, uh, I, we claimed John Quincy, but I'm pretty sure we wouldn't know John Quincy Adams people, and, and so uh, we got people in the family. Well, Matthew includes people that you wouldn't include in your genealogy, Tamar. Uh, Tamar is a weird story. It's a, Tamar, do you all know how this worked? Um, when a Jewish man married a woman, a Jewish woman, um, he, his responsibility was to have children with her, so it carried on their line. It carried on their history. Uh, this man was, the hope was he would have boy children to carry on the family name. All right? That, that was a really big deal. And so, um, in fact, that's a lot of times you'll, you'll read the Old Testament stories and guys had more than one wife. It was because the first wife didn't have any boy children or didn't have any children. And so he married somebody else because they needed boy children to carry on the family line. That's kind of how it worked. Okay, so you, you, got, you got Tamar and she's married to a dude and he dies. 
Now, the rule was if he dies, his brother comes in. Again, sounds a lot like Kentucky. Uh, his brother comes in, and he now becomes the husband of this woman because he's supposed to carry on the line for his brother who's now dead. So Tamar married the first cat, he dies. second cat dies, the brother. So now her father-in-law, he's a little reluctant to give up the third son because she is the kiss of death. Uh, you know, she's like the black widow. And so he's a little reluctant. You can, it makes sense. And so he, he kind of doesn't give her the third son. Well, now, now his excuse was, oh, he's not old enough yet. Well, he got to be old enough, and then he still didn't give, him, uh, give her uh, the third son. So Tamar seduced her father-in-law. Uh, this is weird, y'all. Seduced her father-in-law and got pregnant, and God blessed her. This is in the line of Jesus. These are his people. Y'all think, y'all got some bad people? So does Jesus. I mean, it's great. I'm glad Matthew included this. Uh, Rahab, you want to know what her profession was? She was a prostitute. Now, why in the world would Matthew include this? Um, Ruth, Ruth wasn't even Jewish. She she was a Moabite, a Moabitess, which is a great word. Um, then, Then you got... Bathsheba, and you know the story of Bathsheba, she got pregnant by David while she was still married to Uriah the Hittite. I mean, they are some sketch people in Jesus' family tree. And then Mary, you're saying, well, Mary was good. Well, Mary was good. But to all the people looking at her, she got pregnant before she got married. I mean, that's a little sketch too. Now, we know, we know the circumstances. It it wasn't what it appears. But the really fancy pants religious people, one time Jesus was having a party. You know, he was having a party. And, uh, in fact, it wasn't Jesus' party. Uh, Jesus called a guy named Matthew. We're going to look at this story in two or three weeks. Um, And uh, our music this today was... um, was uh, whatever the Eagles. Well, we're going to have all my rowdy friends are coming over because that, that that's kind of the story of Matthew and all his buddies because they were all riffraff. It was the party of riffraffness. It was, it, it was a rough crowd. It was a rough crowd. And Jesus goes to the party with a rough crowd and all the fancy pants religious people, they ask him a question or they ask a question. When the Pharisees saw that Jesus was partying with these people, they ask his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And it's almost as if you want Jesus to say, they're my people. Look at my genealogy. These are, these are my folk. Have you ever been to a place where you didn't fit? This week, I got to go to Columbia, uh, to the capital. Um, I, I wore a suit and a tie. I wear a suit and a tie for weddings, for funerals, and to go to the Capitol. I got three, three things I, go, I wear a suit and a tie for. And I was there all tied up. And I mean, I'm going to say it right out. I look good. I have to tell you, I, mean, I just really look good. And, uh, uh, but, it, but these aren't my people. I, I kind of felt, I felt out of place. I, I really didn't feel like that was going to be a good place for me. And it was okay, but it's not my people. Well, Jesus, they asked this question. He got back to Jesus. Now, let me show you something. Two guys were there. And write about this. And I want to show you, there's a little, little difference, all right? Luke, he, didn't, he wasn't there, but he heard about it. Peter told him. Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
Matthew, same event, writes it this way. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. That's exactly the same. But go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Matthew includes an Old Testament quote. Matthew is always including Old Testament quotes. In fact, about a hundred times, Matthew is either quoting the Old Testament or alluding to the Old Testament. Matthew connects Jesus to the Old Testament more than any of the other gospel writers. It's really important for him to include Jesus as the Old Testament fulfillment of prophecies. Okay, uh, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, which one is right? Well, they're both right. Look, if you and I look at an event... Uh, uh, anybody watch the Duke-UNC game last night? Yeah, two, two, three of you. Yeah, all right. Uh, Duke, uh, my buddy uh, Dwayne, who is usually here, he, he went to um, uh, something, I forget now. Um, uh, we don't care, he's a Duke guy. Uh, Duke, uh, uh, Dwayne is a Duke guy. Now, if you ask me about the game, I watch the game. If you ask me about the game, I have a certain perspective about that game. Mostly, I hate Duke and they cheated. I, I think that's a pretty much a given, uh, you know. Uh, in fact, it's a little bit redundant to say Duke cheated. I kinda, it's kind of just how it works. Um, I have a, a perspective on it. Now, there was a call at the end of the game, really kind of funny here, because uh, we were talking about it th- uh, earlier. Um, there was a call that should have been made, in my humble opinion, but guess who it would have gone against? <laughs> Duke. If you were to ask Dwayne, if he had been here, hey, Dwayne, what do you think about that call? I would almost guarantee you he looked at that just a little differently. He'd probably say, That's a, that, I didn't see anything. Again, Duke cheats. Okay, that's how it kind of goes. All right. So we look at things with the glasses, our experience that we have. Matthew looks at things kind of from a, a Jewish perspective. But, but what I love about Matthew is when he, when he includes, I mean, from the very beginning, he includes people that I wouldn't include in my genealogy. If I were to write mine out, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't include Tamar. I wouldn't include Rahab, because those aren't, those aren't good stories. Those are kind of sketchy stories. And yet, Matthew sort of gives the impression that Jesus is for everybody. Jesus isn't just for Jews. And even though it was to a Jewish audience, Matthew was saying, this he is the Messiah not just for us. He's the Messiah for everybody. That's really important. It's really important. Now, Peter later put it this way. Peter said, uh, you are the chosen people. We can all be chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That can apply to everyone. So Matthew is always quoting the Old Testament. Let me give you a couple examples. All this took place to fulfill, this is about Mary, by the way, what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. And that is quoting Isaiah 7. In um, Matthew 13, Jesus spoke all these things in parables. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. A thousand years before Jesus was even born, the prophet was David in Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in parables. 
He doesn't just always directly quote, he alludes. Let me show you a time he alludes to it. This is Jesus after his death. When they had crucified him, or while he was on the cross, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes and cast lots. And if you read Psalm 22, it says, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots. Over and over and over again, Matthew points back to the Old Testament and says, this, this, he is the fulfillment of all that history back there. Um, sometimes you have to explain things differently to different people. Um, my little friend Emma Sabo, uh, when she's here on Sunday mornings, Sunday mornings I get here a little early, and one of my, one of my tasks is to water the plants. We have a few planters out there. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, seven planters. And um, they don't get the rain because they're under the awnings and that kind of thing. So I have to water them. I have a chance to water them. And Emma, if she's here, she likes to help me water things. And so a couple weeks ago, uh, Emma was helping me, and we have one of those uh, styrofoam deals on the spigot so it doesn't freeze, you know. And she asked me what that was. Okay, we get questions. Sometimes you answer. It depends on, it depends on your audience as to how you answer the question. Now, if Emma had, she's six, by the way, if Emma had been in high school, I would have said, well, you know that water expands and, and water's in the pipe, and if the pipe, uh, water in the pipe expands, it might bust the pipe, and then it causes uh, a flood, and we'd have to pay for that. Uh, that's what I would say to a, a high schooler. Emma's six, so Emma asked me the question, I said, you ought to go ask your dad. Uh, so you've got to have the right answers to these things, right? That's kind of how it works. You've got you to know how to answer the question. So... The question Matthew's audience was asking, a couple really, uh, was Jesus the Messiah? And he was a yes. But they, would also, they were also asking the question, can anybody get in? Can anybody be in the kingdom of heaven? Can anybody follow God? And Matthew's answer was also yes. While it was to a, Gentile, uh, to a Jewish audience, it was kind of about Gentiles. Hey, Jesus welcome, welcomes them too. Then you have Mark. Mark's more an audience of Gentiles. He doesn't talk hardly any about prophecy. Now, it's really interesting. He begins his, uh, his gospel, the Son of Man. Oh, this is, this is later. Uh, the Son of Man. He talks about Jesus, the Son of Man. He talks about his humanity a lot. Uh, he, he, was, he was one of us. You know, he's a man of action. Uh, the Son of Man did not come to, to be served uh, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And at the very beginning, man, Mark is about getting her done. Get her done. He is the get her done uh, uh, gospel writer. Um, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. They all thought Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in the Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. And he's talking about John the Baptist. And by the way, I think next week we're talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, by the way, is found in all four Gospels. Really, really interesting. Not all of, not all of those are like that. Uh, some stories are found exclusively in Matthew, some exclusively in Mark, some exclusively in Luke. And we'll talk about a couple of those in a minute. John has a lot of exclusive stuff, but John the Baptist was in all of them. But anyway, Mark is like, um, Jesus is the Messiah. And he gets to work. I mean, there's, there's no, nothing about his childhood, nothing about his birth. It's Jesus is the Messiah, and he gets to work. Man, Mark, if there was a word to describe his gospel, it would be concise. He, he talks about 
action, and, and he gets after it. It's the briefest and most succinct of the Gospels. It is kind of bare bones. People who like action like Mark. He uses the word immediately uh, about 42 times. He is always, Jesus is always moving in the book of Mark. Then you get to Luke. Luke was a physician. Luke wanted to prove that Jesus is the fulfillment, not just of Scripture, but that he had done a careful study and you can believe him. I put it this way. Luke was written to show that a Christian's faith is based on historical, reliable information. He wanted to make sure you can believe it because I studied, I checked out the stories and they are true. And he begins his gospel uh, again, we saw it a minute ago. Many have undertaken to draw up this account. But then he, he uses stuff like, I've carefully investigated. Uh, I um, have given you an, an orderly account. He wanted you to know, look, uh, these things are reliable. They're historical. Uh, Luke is sort of considered the historian of that era. He uses things when, uh, when he does the birth narrative, he said, you know, while Quirinius was governor of Syria, he, he nails it down. These are things that happened, and they happened in a certain time, a certain point in history. He's the only one that records certain stories about Jesus. The Good Samaritan, the story that Jesus told, only found in Luke. The Prodigal Son, which is one of the greatest short stories ever written, only found in Luke. The Rich Man and Lazarus, only found in Luke. Luke was a friend of... Paul, he was a friend of Peter. He heard the stories of these men, and he, write, he wrote down what he heard. Luke is the only Gentile author of any of the Gospels. It's believed that the, the, the birth narrative in Luke is different than the one in Matthew. And it's believed that uh, many, many scholars believe that Luke interviewed Mary to write the Gospel, that, that, that part of the Gospel. And, and Luke wanted his audience to know, this is really reliable. I've looked it up. I've talked to people. I've done the research. Jesus really did what he said, what people are saying about him. He really was who they say he was. John. John, it's like his sole purpose in writing the book of John is to prove that Jesus was God. I mean, from the beginning, he starts to talk about Jesus as God. Um, about 90% of his stuff is unique just to him, and he really hammers the theology that Jesus is God. In fact, look, first verse, first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. I mean, this is he from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. Now, where else in the Bible do you hear the words in the beginning? Do you remember? Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Whereas Matthew and Luke, and to a small degree Mark, begin at Jesus' birth, John says he's always been. John was written after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It was written several years after. Some believe he kind of filled in the gaps. But there's no doubt as to what he's trying to convey in his gospel. That Jesus is God. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness is overcome it. And then just a little bit later, He says, The Word became flesh. God didn't, God didn't come and dwell a person 
God became a person. Big distinction that John makes here. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And there's no doubt what John is trying to convey. John uses, if you know anything about Scripture, John uses seven miracles. Seven is the number of perfection in Scripture. Seven miracles to prove that Jesus is God. John uses, kind of scattered throughout his gospel, seven times when Jesus says, I am. They're called the I am statements. Really important. Because if you'll recall, when Moses was on the mountain and God said, go set my people free, and Moses said, well, who am I going to say told me to to set my people free? And, And God said, tell them I am who I am has sent you. And so when Jesus says, I am, he makes these statements, he is claiming divinity for himself. And everybody reading it would have understood it. And John doesn't dance around it at all. Here's what I love about these Gospels. I love the fact that God thought enough about us to know that maybe, maybe if, it, if we just had Matthew, it might not be enough. Maybe if we just had John, it might not be enough. Maybe one of us in this room needed a story from Mark, told the way Mark tells it, to really connect to us. Maybe one of us in this room, we needed a story from Luke, the way Luke told it, in order to really connect to us. I appreciate the fact that God inspired different people to use their experiences and their gifting and the way they see things to write a gospel, these gospels, in such a way that, that they connect. There's a guy by the name of Simon Greenleaf. He's an expert in witnesses and in the court of law. And he, he writes, uh, he, he notes that the type of witnesses in the account of the four gospels, and, and here's what he talks about. He talks about that writers should choose to omit and add different details from others is typical of reliable, independent sources. If they were all exactly the same and said the exact same thing without any emphasis or any differences, we would call that collusion. But here's what John, and really all the gospel writers, they want you to make a decision. But John just makes it very clear. At the end, he says... Jesus did many other things. He, he did a lot of stuff. We can't write it all down. He did lots of stuff in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But, but, and here's kind of, he's making a pitch. But these, the ones we did write, this is what I have written. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one that was to come. He is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John brings his audience to a point of decision. Because here's the truth about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were not given to us to simply inform us. They were given to us to transform us. So the question we have to ask ourselves as we close today is, what have you decided about Jesus? Do you believe He's the Messiah? Do you believe He's God's only Son? Do you believe the things that the Gospel writers wrote about Him? Because here's they believed it. Here's how I know they believed what they wrote. Every one of them died for their faith. They were persecuted. They were crucified. Peter was crucified upside down. Every one of these men 
went to their graves believing that Jesus was God, that He was the Messiah, that He was the one, and they placed their whole lives, their whole faith in Jesus. That's why the Gospels were written, so that we can know about Jesus and ultimately that we could believe in Jesus. Because that's what John says. I, I write these things. Let me go back to it. These things are written that you may believe. It's not enough to know. You have to believe. I I just think the way God did it is, and he's so smart. He's so remarkably smart. He knows what he's doing. He wrote it in such a way that we have multiple witnesses testifying to the truth and the reality that Jesus is the Christ. Let's pray. Lord, it is an amazing thing that you take four different people from four different backgrounds with kind of four different perspectives. And in a cohesive way, you were able to, through these men, write a memoir of who Jesus was and what he believed and what he taught. We're thankful that you love us that much, that you would do that for us. Father, I pray that people have asked that question and answered the question the right way, that who, who, do we, who do we say Jesus is? I mean, John just here says, you should believe, we should believe. He, he wrote it so we would believe. Lord, if there's anybody here that hadn't made a decision to believe, I pray that they would step from unfaith into faith today. We love you, Lord. Help us to serve you well. Help us to be reminded that You love every person. You wrote these in such a way that everybody can get the message. Thank you for that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.